Welcome to this edition of Books, Bible, Beer, and Queer. The podcast was such a general title that I can speak with anyone about almost anything. I'm your host, Joyce Hagen McIntosh, and for the record, I like books, I like the Bible, I like beer, and I am queer. Good afternoon, or good morning, or evening, whenever you're listening, and welcome back to Books, Bible, Beer, and Queer. Although today we get to talk about something a bit different, movies. And we're going to speak with Greta Hagen Richardson, and I'm going to let her tell us her title and what she does, because I don't really know how to describe it. Thank you for having me, Joyce. Um, yeah, it's, it's a bit niche. Um, so I'm a programmer and producer. Um, my official title is the director of programming at the Hot Springs Documentary Film Festival and the lead features programmer at the New Orleans Film Festival. Um, but then I also am producing uh, a couple films and uh, do some other programming work for a few other smaller festivals. Wow, that keeps your hands full, I'm sure. That's a lot of movies in the air. So what does that mean? What exactly is a programmer for a film festival? Um, so essentially, uh, programmers are the ones who watch uh, either, well, okay, so it's a little complicated, I guess. There's kind of two types of festivals, and there's intersections between the two Um depending on the festival, but typically uh, a festival is either curated or submission driven. Um, and most of the festivals I work for are submission driven. So um, the programmers are going through the submissions, looking at recommendations from our screening team, which is like a group of volunteer um like community members basically that watch movies and give us their thoughts on them. Um, and we have meetings throughout the year to kind of start whittling down that list of films um, and then ultimately decide the final programs for the festival itself. Um, and some festivals are more curation based. Um, so they're, those programmers are going to other festivals around the world and deciding, you know, what pieces from those festivals would fit well for theirs. So that's Fun. A, that's a look at that. And I think I've said festivals 20 times. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good, though. Now we know what it means. And exactly how do you end up becoming a programmer for film festivals? Like, how did you go from, hey, I'm a kid, you're from Chicago, you're living your normal life, to, hey, I'm running around the world, running film festivals, <laughs> Um, well, it's been a long process. It feels like uh, a lot has changed for me this year. Um, so those things feel a bit overnight. But um, but I've been programming for almost 10 years. And um, I used to listen to a couple radio shows that were podcasts back when like that was a, a pretty new thing. Um, of film reviewers that uh, were critics and they would go to the Toronto International Film Festival and Sundance every year um, and they would talk about you know all the incredible movies they saw and I got really jealous so because uh, I've always loved 
movies. Um, so I decided um, in, gosh, I think it was 2009 maybe or 2008, um, I decided I was going to go to TIFF, um, the Toronto International Film Festival, which is kind of like the, the beginning of the Oscar campaign season. Um, so a lot of Oscar movies uh, premiere there. Um, and it was just an incredible experience. I had so much fun. Um, I had never been to Toronto before, and it's a great city. Um, and I, I met a lot of people. Uh, I saw a ton of incredible films. And um, when I came back, I was kind of like, all right, this is what I want to do. Um, you know, I, I was asking when I was there, like, who gets to decide what films play and you know who I think I said something along the lines of like who has the most power within this structure <laughs> in this system and and everyone I spoke to was like well the programmers get to make most of the choices and so I think that's kind of what motivated me um but so jealousy uh, and power you basically just said jealousy and power are great motivators yeah. go Greta you know, I wanted to it's it, those it's fun being a programmer is fun and you get to hang out with a lot of really great filmmakers and people and so I, I'm not as power mad anymore but I definitely feel like programmers have an awesome job. Neat well and you uh, you also use the term producer I heard you say that uh, in your intro um, what are you producing or is this uh, is and is this a first time thing or have you been a producer before? Um, so this is pretty new for me. Um, about a year ago, just before everything shut down, um, I was uh, accepted into a fellowship in LA with um, Film Independent called Project Involve. And um, within that fellowship, I was in the creative executive track. So it's set up basically like uh, Project Involve is the studio and we all work within the studio system to make shorts. And so each person, there's 30 of us total, each person kind of has their role. And so I and two other people were the creative executives. So we basically got to meet with the writers and develop their screenplays and their ideas and then start matching filmmakers with um, the different projects and kind of have that cool arc. Um, and it was really, I, I really um, had an incredible experience doing it. I, I loved it because a, a lot of the programming I do is for emerging filmmakers, like young people, um, especially in regions that are not as, excuse me, uh, well represented. Um, you know, outside of the coastal industries, it can be kind of hard to get the resources to make films. So those are the people I tend to champion. And um, I getting this experience to like work in development was really inspiring and fun. And so I'm the executive producer on the two films that we did through that program. Um, but it also led me to start working with a filmmaker I know from my festival work um, to produce his feature film. Um, and then in the midst of doing that, we got a really amazing opportunity um, to produce a short um that I can't talk about yet because I don't know when they're going to release it, um, release the information, but it was a pretty big um, amount of money we were given by a large organization to, to make a short. Um, so it's, I, I, we're really excited. It's been, it's been incredible. And I've learned so much in just this last week. <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of where I am on the producing side. That is wonderful. And I love the fact that you're, like you said, you, you could just say, you know what, people on the East Coast in New York and people on the West Coast in Hollywood and L.A. 
are the ones that get to do this. And instead, you're going out there and saying, okay, who's underrepresented? What regions are underrepresented? That is fantastic. Um, speaking of underrepresented, so I'm talking with you, and you are a young woman of color. Do you want to tell me a little more about, um, you know, tell me about your experience getting where you're at and if that had an impact basically on your experience and um, just what you would have to say about us in this particular time. Are opportunities increasing? Are they decreasing? I'm, I'm interested in your perspective. Um, yes, I would say that uh, being a woman of color has definitely impacted uh, how I approach, well, everything in my life, but um, definitely in my job. Um, it's it's interesting because I, when I started programming, I, um, you know, I, I was kind of thinking about movies from a purely artistic standpoint, like what is the, you know, like is the craft incredible? Like what's the, the style, the tone, like all these things that are um, kind of like the Criterion Channel version of watching movies. And, um, you know, it's it's tough because I think any person of color could tell you that you start out with your own interests and then you kind of are pushed into a box because no one else is like interested in looking outside of just the traditional or mainstream, um, you know, films. And yeah, I'm sure you could, you know, uh, find another application for that in different careers. Um, but, but yeah, it, I just got to the point where I was at these festivals looking around and I was the, often the only woman, uh, often the only person of color in the entire organization. Um, and it was like, okay, well, none of these people care, you know, whether it's willful ignorance or they, they genuinely just didn't realize the mistakes they were making. Um, you know, it was like they were, they had decided that one kind of film was worth uplifting and, um, and celebrating and they were ignoring this whole other world of cinema and all these talented filmmakers from, um, you know, underrepresented communities um because they just you know for whatever reason so uh, a lot of the time i got pushed into being the person to say like hey there's this black filmmaker or this native filmmaker or whatever and um and so that kind of began to overshadow my um my own personal like artistic interests um and that I think it was really frustrating at the time. Um, but I would say in the last couple of years, a lot of people in the industry are more aware. Um, and it hasn't been, you know, like a, a perfect change and overnight or anything like that. But it's gotten to the point where I'm now not the only woman. I'm not the only person of color. And, uh, and the people who are not in those categories are also aware that they need to be looking for other things. So I've really been able to kind of think about like what's important to me, um, you know, in a more artistic level. Um, but that's not to say that it's, you know, not important to be doing kind of that equity representation DEI work because um, it really is. But I, I definitely am excited 
that I've been able to kind of integrate that into my other interests. Like I really love horror um, and, you know, like international cinema. There, there are a lot of things that I'd kind of been pushing to the side um, in an effort to get more equity and representation. And so it's been nice uh, in the last couple of years that I don't have to be the only person doing that anymore. Um, and I would say in the last year, my life has really changed. I mean, uh, the pandemic has been difficult, you know, for a lot of reasons. Um, and the Black Lives Matter protests last summer were really stressful. And, um, you know, it's, it's on the one hand, it's exciting because it's like people are actually listening. But on the other hand, it's like every day you're, you know, seeing this in the news and people are talking about it. And it's like you can't even take a break from like the horror. <laughs> um, but because of that, I do think I've been able to have a lot of opportunities that I wouldn't have had, um, you know, a year and a half ago. Um, and so for me, a lot of it has been 10 years of preparing for this, meeting the, the moment where I'm given the opportunities. Um, and so I, I've been really lucky and, um, you know, I've, I feel like I've kind of lucked into some of it, but um, I'm taking advantage of every opportunity that's coming my way. And um, so, so yeah, this, this, I would say that the, the last year has changed a lot for me. And I think a lot of other people of color and women that are working in the industry. That is awesome. It's, uh, I can't imagine going through that compounded with how hard hit the industry has been with COVID. Um, but from what you say, it sounds like you're getting back into the studio. It sounds like productions are starting to uh, launch again and people are getting back there. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's it kind of depends on, you know, the budgets. I think um, a lot of really low budget stuff, you can kind of figure out how to kind of game the, the COVID system. Um, and then the huge companies like the Disney's of the world, they can also um, kind of game the system because they have so many resources, they can, you know, make it as safe as is necessary to make it on a set, because uh, they can just throw money at it. Um, I think like the middle, you know, the middle budgets are the ones that are probably struggling a little bit more. But um, a lot of TV shows are back on sets and um, a lot of people are making films. Some were trying to make movies outside of the US because the numbers were better in other places. Um, I know a team that flew to Iceland and quarantined there and then just made the film there. Um, I know a group that flew to New Zealand and did their film there instead. Um, so, I mean, people are being creative. And even on one of the shorts that I EP'd for Project Involve, um, it was shot in South Africa and we worked with a team on the ground there because at the time their COVID numbers were better and um, they had slightly more flexible rules for filming. Um, because of SAG here, which is the actors union, um, we have pretty strict rules about um, testing and who can be on set when and where, and it's it can be pretty complicated. Um, I'm hoping that that lightens up a little bit in the next couple months, but you know, we'll we'll kind of see how that I goes. Think, yeah. Crossing fingers. Every yeah, person yeah. getting vaccinated is one step closer. Yeah. So I think news. we're all trying to be optimistic. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, just a, a couple more questions. You ended up in Variety Magazine. 
what did the uh, writer in Variety Magazine have to say about you? Well, you know, it's just a mention <laughs> online, and I was really excited about it. But um, it's, a, it's a mention in Variety Magazine as opposed to the book's Bible, Beer and Queer podcast. So <laughs> share with our listeners. I, I think you got a pretty good accolade. What did they What did they say? You know, they. I was called a rising star, which is fun. Although I will, I'll, I'll peek. I'll let you peek behind the curtain. You know, we write these press releases, so, so it's you know, it's 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 how it works in the industry. But um, yeah, well, you are, if you are, if you look at if you look at how you have built up and up and up over the past decade that's uh that is an impressive amount you're learning more and more you're producing more and more and you're getting some wonderful film festivals i mean i'm i'm uh, impressed that's exciting so don't downplay yeah, it if i ever end up in variety everyone on my social media is going to see it five thousand times i promise um so- so one more question for you. Um, you, you know movies, you, uh, you program, you critique, you produce. What are some fun things that people should be looking for coming up in the next year, in your humble opinion? Ooh, gosh, okay. Well, I just we just finished Sundance um, like two or three weeks ago, I guess, or what, it's March, so maybe a month ago. Um, and there were a ton of really exciting films out of there, especially in the doc area. Um, my favorites were probably, um, there was a documentary about, I'm, and I'm pretty sure this is correct, but um, I apologize if it's not. I believe he was an Afghan re- refugee um, who wound up in Northern Europe, um, but it's a, a film called Flea and it's um, an animated documentary um, and it tells kind of this man's story of um, fleeing from, you know, just an unstable and political and social environment um, to Europe and with his family and kind of the toll it took and the difficulty, uh, the level of difficulty. He landed in Russia for a while and it was just, it, it, it was harrowing to, to, to watch. And, you know, the animation made it, um, more visceral, I think, than a kind of a standard documentary, uh, like a talking head documentary. Um, And it's kind of in the context of him wanting to marry and settle down with his um, boyfriend in, I want to say Sweden. Um, But again, please correct. (laughs) Don't, don't hold me to that. I'm pretty, it's Northern Europe, somewhere in Northern Europe. Um, But it's kind of like his, uh, his boyfriend is this um, white man from a pretty, you know, well-to-do background and he's kind of like I want to buy a house I want to settle down like I want to you know have our lives be more um just more settled and the film is kind of um taking this man's like life and um exploring like why it might be difficult for him to think about like home and what it means to have a place that's yours and a family that you know isn't in this constant state of panic and fear and so it was really interesting way to frame um, the film. And then uh, there was another really great one that was a narrative called Coda. Um, and that's going to be out on Apple TV Plus, I believe, this year. Um, I think they bought it. And 
it's a film about a young woman who is the only member of her family that is hearing. Um, both her parents and her brother are deaf and uh, they work as fishermen um, off the coast of Massachusetts. And uh, it's kind of, she's young, she's in high school. Um, it's kind of a coming of age story. And um, some of it is about her family not trusting her brother, who is also deaf, to be able to um, you know, help them grow their business uh, without her if she wants to move on. And it's also about her kind of finding independence outside of this family unit. Um, it was, it's really a lovely film. I mean, it's, um, I was a little frustrated because it does center the hearing person. Um, but I think the film is really um, thoughtful and considers kind of the, the everyone's perspective in the film. Um, so, so that's a good one as well. Um, I mean, there's so many more. I feel like I could go on. No, that's, those that's are two of my favorites. Though. Thank you. Thank you for sharing those with us. Um, and I appreciate that you noted uh, Flea as also being an LGBTQ plus film. Um, that's neat. And I don't think I've ever seen a documentary that is animated. That's... There are, yeah, there are a couple out there um, that are really interesting because I, I think the initial um, approach when they started doing it was to kind of uh, keep people from uh, having their image out there with governments that are more hostile. Um, and I think that's kind of why he's doing it. But I think also in general, it's just a really great narrative device because it allows you to like be in those moments with him in a much more real way than if you were just sitting in a chair talking to you. So it, I loved it. It was, it was the last film I watched at Sundance on the last day because I, uh, I had, it was an award winner and we had access to all the award winners on the last day. And I watched it at like 11 AM and was like, Nope, I'm done. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I'm, I'm all the emotion is sucked out of me. I can't do anymore. <laughs> Well, thank you for sharing those, and thank you for spending some time talking with me today. Um, is there anything you would say to young people, whether they are in high school or college, who are interested in approaching the film industry from any perspective? And the reason I ask, I, I was a journalism major. I kind of went down that road. I don't think you hear about film as an opportunity. If you're like me, you're a kid, you grow up watching TV and movies, they're all movie stars, I don't have access to that. Uh, what would you say if someone's interested in pursuing any type of career in the industry? Ooh, well, there are so many roles um, that you could jump into. I mean, if you're looking to be a writer or a director, um, I would say just start making movies. Um, I feel like it's never been easier to make a movie. Um, there's some downsides to that. Like the, the prevalence of streaming means that a lot of people are making content. There's a lot more opportunities than there used to be. Um, and the gatekeeping is a little bit different. Um, but on the same on the other side of that coin, um, you know, there's a lot less theatrical uh, 
a lot less films that play in theaters. Um, there's a lot, it, it just looks different. Like the, the landscape looks different. So someone might say like, I want to be a, a director and in their mind, they're imagining their film playing at the AMC that they go to every week. Um, and that's just probably not a realistic way to look at uh, your career anymore. Um, but if you kind of can like kill your darlings and let go of that kind of image in your mind, like there are so many opportunities now to get your work out there. Um, there's tons of streamers that are just like gobbling up the content and um, you know, you can put stuff on Instagram, on Facebook, on Vimeo, you can, you know, ha let people see your work there. Um, and you can make stuff on an iPhone. You can make stuff on a, you know, a cheap camera. There's rentals everywhere. I mean, there's so many opportunities to be making movies. Um, same with writing. And so I feel like people just, you know, kind of take the idea of needing a ton of money and a ton of access out of your head and just start making stuff and seeing what hits. Um, if you apply to festivals, have a targeted approach. Don't just throw everything at the wall. It can get expensive. So, um, you know, think about why you want to play somewhere, um, what the festival will do for you, um, you know, on the other end of things. Uh, a lot of people want to get into Sundance, which totally makes sense. But it's a tiny fraction of people that actually get in there. And, um, you know, a small regional festival might do just as much for you as, you know, being one of the many people at like a TIFF or a Sundance or a CAN um, because the, those the people that bring you there are going to be really connected to your work and they're going to want to see you succeed. So, um, so have a targeted approach um, and just like get out there and start doing stuff. I mean, a lot of people say they want to do something and they hold themselves back. Like you just need to start. Just do it. Yeah, exactly. Just do it. All right. Well, Greta, thank you so much for your time today. Good luck in all of your projects in the upcoming year. And I'm sure we'll be seeing and hearing a lot more from you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's, it's fun to talk about my job and, you know, who doesn't like to talk about themselves? So. <laughs> awesome. Thank you.